Oh, Lord, we ask that you would come among us this morning. We thank you that we can gather as your people. And as we do so, oh, Lord, we ask that you would have your way with us through your word. And that, Lord, as, as we come at different stages of our walk with you, we pray you would meet us right where we are. And that, Lord, that this season of repentance would be more profound than ever before in each and every one of our lives as we seek to follow you. I pray that you would take our minds and think through them, take my lips and speak through them, take our wills and bend them to your own, and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray, amen. You know, when you, when you think of repentance and the whole subject matter of it, it's difficult, it takes some humility, doesn't it? And it's difficult in our culture to have such a humble heart. Uh, a repentant heart is rarely found in our individualistic society. There's a story that came out of Charlotte, North Carolina, you know, that I think rings true of this. Because it's so rare, we really hear the words, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Stories told of a lawyer in Charlotte who, who, who bought a very expensive box of cigars, 24 cigars, and, and they were very rare and very expensive, so he decided to, decided to take out an insurance policy on them. Um, and so within a month, he smoked them all, and he decided, I'm going to get this insurance company, so he filed a claim saying that the cigars were all lost in a small series of fires. <laughs> you know, the insurance company obviously denied the claim, right? Uh, citing that the cigars had all been consumed in a normal fashion. But the lawyer decided to sue. And he won. In delivering the verdict, the judge agreed with the insurance company that this was a frivolous claim, but that the lawyer held the policy from the company that truly did state that the cigars were insured against fire without defining what was acceptable and unacceptable fire. And so they were, he ruled that they were obligated to pay the claim and so, and rather than endure a lengthy appeal process, the company decided they'd pay for $15,000 claim. Now, after the lawyer had cast the check, the insurance company immediately turned around and had him arrested for 24 counts of arson. <laughs> Isn't that great? You know, using his own testimony, saying he, he had... The lawyer who was convicted of intentionally burning the insured property <laughs> sentenced to a $24,000 fine and 24 months in jail. We all, we all just kind of go, yes, finally, someone gets theirs. But, but, but that's the culture we live in. I'm entitled to my own, and I will do anything it can to get it, right? That's the way we live our lives, unfortunately. But we're in this season of true Christian repentance, noticing that it's the path to joy. It's the path to a transformed life. And last week, through looking at Esau, we saw what it isn't. 
we saw that it's not going through religious form and beating yourself up because, oh, Esau did all that, right? We saw that it's not just a one-time thing event either. It's not that we've been baptized. It's not merely that we've been confirmed. It's not merely that we walk down the aisle at some crusade. It's a lifelong process of turning to the Lord because Jesus' words say, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And so today what we're going to do is look at what it truly is and what it looks like in the life of a believer. So I invite you to turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 42. We're going to look at Job, and he's going to show us what it truly is like. And Job's fascinating. You get to chapter 42, and it says, Job, verse 6, despises himself and repents in dust and ashes. Well, who is this guy, Job, that he would repent in dust and ashes? Well, if you turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 1, here's who God says Job is. Job chapter 1, verse 8. There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. I don't know that anybody's ever said that about me. I doubt whether anybody's ever said that about you. So why did Job need to repent? That's the whole discussion of Job. The whole book is about that fact. What a repentant life looks like. Chapter 1 if you are familiar at all with this, tragedy absolutely hits, but by God's sovereign hand, God allows Job to be attacked. His business is destroyed by some Sabaean and Chaldean raiders. Then on the same day, all, and I repeat this, all of his children are killed by a microburst wind. They all gathered in one place, house fell on them, and they died. So he's in grief, not just the loss of his business, but all the loss of his children. And then a couple days later, he gets absolutely deathly ill with loathsome sores, open sores from his head to his toe. And his wife says, oh, dude, just curse God and die. It's over for you, man. And so, like good friends, his friends... Chapter 2, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, like all good believing friends, they go to give him some comfort. And they do a good job on the outset to attempt to comfort him, because that's what we should do, right? We come alongside our friends. But after some time of consolation and encouragement to him, and he isn't healed, according to their, you know, uh, Benny Hinn formula, right? Uh, They start to get angry with him. They start to say, oh, buddy, you've done something wrong to deserve all this, right? You, 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 You aren't truly repentant, and the whole book is about this back and forth conversation between Job and his friends, because you get to chapter 31, where Job starts to say, if only. Turn to 31. It's, it's phenomenal. Chapter 31. I made a covenant with my eyes. 
How then could I gaze at a virgin? Meaning, I, I don't look at women with bad intent. Verse 5, if I have walked with falsehood, my foot has hastened to deceit. If my step had turned aside, verse 7, from my way, my heart has gone after my eyes. Verse 9, if my heart has ever been enticed toward a woman. Right? Verse 13, if I have rejected the cause of my manservant. He just keeps going. He's pouring it out to not only them, but to the Lord. As far as Job is can remember, he, he is faultless. He's confessed all his sin. He's done everything that he knows what to do. And so then Elihu, Bildad, and, and Zophar, they, they really go after him some more. And so Job just continues to deny that he's done anything wrong. And then we get to verse 38, chapter 38. And it's as if the Lord says to Job, are you done now? Because not only is he confessing, he's also complaining. He's lamenting, which we're allowed to do, by the way. All right? Lamenting is an important part of Christian experience, that life doesn't always go the way we would want it. Amen? So you see this going on, and then we get to God speaking to him. We're working on the definition of repentance from Dr. J.I. Packer. Repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much of you know of yourself to as much as you know of God. All right? We posted that on the Christchurch Facebook page. It got very few likes. You guys need to like that more. All right? And share it with your friends. All right? So, all right? If you're not a friend, make Christchurch West Shore because we want to spread this. Repentance is a turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of God. And last week we talked about it, it, it's turning. The Hebrew word nakam means turning from a pl totally planned direction to a totally different direction. All right? And what Job is teaching us, this blameless man, as he comes to God with his laments in chapter 10, verse 1, chapter 21, verse 4, we see this throughout Scripture, that lamenting, complaining, even resenting what you're going through at times is a common experience of the believer. We saw it even in, in 103, remembering that we are dust, but the Lord shows compassion and mercy. And what this shows us through Job is that God can handle it, but we don't stay there. And in chapter 38, when God begins to speak, what he does from 38 to 41, he gives 40 questions to Job. 40 questions to Job. Guess how many Job can answer? Zero. He's O for 40. Imagine taking a test and you have 40 questions and you can't answer one. So what this teaches us are two great truths, my friend, that are very relevant for our daily lives. The first one is, the first step of repentance is simply knowing God. Because by knowing God, our life changes. 
because as we grow in our knowledge of God, we find ourselves changing. It's not a by, change is not a byproduct of our doing as much as it is a byproduct of our knowing. Colin Smith, because this is exactly what happens to Job. He was blameless in chapter 1. But you, when you read 42 and onward, he's a changed life. And so the question for us this morning is, how much do we know of God? Colin Smith of Orchard Church in Chicago puts it this way. If you know a little of God, you change a little. If you know more of God, you'll change more. If you know much of God, you will change much. And repentance is simply a reflection of our knowledge of God. And that's exactly the first lesson that Job teaches us this morning. I mean, Job is a strong believer. And his faith is obviously stretched. And if you're like Job and you found yourself in some troubled waters, ladies and gentlemen, and your life is troubled and you find yourself complaining and your, your love for the Lord has been absolutely stretched. Most of us have been there, right? Most of us have had that experience. Job teaches us that we can take that to the Lord, but we don't stay there. And the breakthrough is in chapter 42. He had known God his entire life. And what he realizes through chapters 38 to 41 is God is more glorious than he can ever imagine. And all of his life's unanswered questions are a tiny fraction of what he doesn't know of God. And he discovers that even though he's not healed here yet, <laughs> he could live with his pain. But in all his unanswered questions, why? Because he knows God Almighty for who he is. Verse 3 of chapter 42. Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. So here's the first question for you this morning when we're talking about Lent, when we're talking about repentance. What's your prevailing attitude about God right now in one word? I'm sure for some of us, uh, there's some questions. There's some complaints. There's some laments. And I want to tell you, that's okay. But don't stay there. Job was there, and he didn't stay there. Neither should we. He had an experience with God, and what was that experience? He saw God's glory. And if you saw God's glory, how would you change? What would your view of God be, if you think about it? He's having a theophany here. He, it says, that I read of you, now I saw you, verse 5 and 6. We don't know how he saw God. Scripture's silent on how God manifested himself. But he saw God somehow and experienced him. If we saw his glory like that, man, we'd have great, complete confidence in him, wouldn't we? We'd be able to trust him no matter what we're going through, even when we don't understand what we're going through. If we saw his glory like that, we would be like Paul, full of faith, hope, and love. And it would spill over into every area 
in every relationship that we have. At the deepest level, it would change us. When we know God that way, it changes our thinking, but it also changes our hearts. Interesting this week, I discovered that the word used for repent in verse 6 of Isaiah 42 when it says, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That word repent, Hebrew nakab, can also be translated comfort. The grammar rules in, in translation. And here it's repent, but it's also translated in Genesis chapter 27 when Isaac, Sarah, his mom, dies and he marries Rebecca. Rebecca comforts him. It's the same word in the Hebrew. Because there's joy in repentance. Remember, Jesus said there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. See, there's also comfort as we do so. And what does it say Job does? He, he himself says, I repent in dust and ashes. You know, I'm so happy. I'm going to cover myself in dust. Yeah, he is. What comfort? Because Job has finally resolved with all that he, that he has been through, that his personal conflict with God, and he's resting in the grace and mercy of God. He's given it over and recognized God's glory, his majesty, and his sovereignty, even over all the tragedy he's been through. And if you come to a place where your experiences have been hard, even though you trust the Lord, you believe in him, you're a faithful person and you're a questioner, to see his glory would be an absolute breakthrough. And it would heal your heart and it would be such a relief. And we do that by remembering that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Those aren't macabre words. Those are victorious words. That one day I will be changed, once and for all. But the reality is, the reason we do this Lenten thing is that we're forgetful people. Because we do want to understand it all. We do want to shape it all. We want to control it all, don't we? And we don't let go, recognizing that, you know, it's really God's job to control it, not mine. And that I don't need to understand it all. I simply need to understand that God is in control. And as I do that, and I know God and pursue God, I can have peace and joy, and it will heal my heart. And I'll be changed. The second application for us is knowing God in this way. How can I do that? Well, the first thing is Job does it, does it by implication here. But Moses does it by verbalizing it. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. What's the cry of Moses? Lord, show me your glory. Does that describe your prayer life? For it is God who reveals himself 
through word and spirit with grace and truth to his people who ask. Notice, as Bob read the gospel today, Jesus says in verse 27 of Matthew 11, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Meaning, it's Jesus who will make this glory known to you and to me. You'll never know the glory of God apart from Jesus Christ. And if you have had the placed your entire trust in him and asking him to show you all of the glory that he wants to reveal to you. Ask, number one. <laughs> and he'll show you. This is relevant for my school tomorrow, students. Because you go back, you think all the, the, the way people talk about you on social media and what have you, it doesn't matter. The only opinion that matters is the one who died for you. Adults, as we go back to work in our corporate environment, it's so messed up, but the reality is you can shine his light. You can be his woman, his man in that place because God loves you so. No matter what you're going through, you are loved. Next, older friends. You come and you're sore. You don't get over sickness the way you used to. God holds you. God loves you. God hears you and still wants to use you. It doesn't stop until we draw our final breath. You know, that's the whole point about coming here is you are encouraged through the word to live the life you've been called to live as we go forth this week. We don't come to church. We come to worship and meet the Lord together. You know, we got to get that out of our vocabulary. If there's any group of people who've been through an experience as we've been through, we know the church is not a building, right? So let's stop acting like it, all right? Let's just keep going and knowing the Lord. It's such a tragedy if people have a general belief who never glimpse much more of God than they did 10 or 20 years ago. Here's a tip for you. Tomorrow morning, get up 15 minutes earlier, open up your Bible and say, Lord, show me your glory. Read one chapter. Have a little notepad or journal. Write down the text you read. Show me your glory, Lord. He will show you something. Now, don't open up to Leviticus. Open up to something, open up the daily bread, you know, with the text, something easy. We got daily breads in the back, just take one. You know, open up to a book that's a little easier to work through. I love Leviticus. One, one year we'll walk through the great themes of Leviticus, because we all want to live in Leviticus land. We wish it was America, the Leviticus land, the beautiful. You know, it is, it's a great place, which Israel never lived in. Because they couldn't. They're sinful people, just like us. My friends, when God shows us his glory through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit, we change. And my heart will be healed. That's the first thing we have to do. If you want to know God like this, 
We have to ask. Secondly, we have to look. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That God has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So the natural response for us is to look upon the face of Jesus. He wants us to look upon his face. He wants to reveal himself. It's his person and work for each and every one of us. Job had a theophany, an appearance of God, and what we have is greater. Job admires you. Because we have God in the flesh that he never had. So as much as you are able to look to Jesus Christ, his finished work, and as you place your trust in him, his yoke is easy. It's titanium light. His burden is like a feather. And his compassion is toward all those who are hurting. Look at Jesus' ministry. Who flocked to him? The people who were really hurting. Children loved to come to Jesus. He touched the leper who was absolutely untouchable. This is God, and he's saying, look at my glory. Look at the authority he has. He calmed the storm. He looked at the religious know-it-alls and rebuked them. He looked at the religious liberals and rebuked them. This is our God. And we look to Jesus who laid down his life for each and every one of us, dying for our sins and raising in victory from the dead so he could raise us in our present struggles and ultimately on the resurrection. What struggles do we have that we can't trust this Jesus? Repentance, true repentance begins with knowing this God. Ask and look. And we'll discover that secret path, which isn't a secret. It's just so few decide they really want to walk on it. I beg of you, get on this. Don't remain where you are. Come with us this Lent. Walk with us. We lost a hero this week, didn't we? There's not one person in this room, more than likely, that wasn't infected by Billy Graham's ministry in some way, shape, or form. We love him because he walked with impeccable integrity. He didn't get tied up in the politics. He kept Jesus front and center unashamedly. I encourage us to do the same. Oh, we got our convictions, and we want to talk about that. We can share about that over a cup of coffee. But we're going to keep Jesus, like Billy, front and center. And he used what is popularly called an altar call to remind people to come to know Jesus, to ask and to look and find. Right? And there's George Beverly Shea singing, Just As I Am.
right? We Anglicans do this a lot. And I'm going to ask you this morning, if you are hurting, if you are struggling in your walk with Christ, if you are the same person you were 10 years ago when I arrived, if you're the same person 20 years ago when Jim was still the rector here, how about 30 years ago when Arthur was the rector here? Or you're just going through any kind of valley. Or if you're really strong in your faith right now. Doesn't matter. God takes us wherever we are on our journey, dear friends. And we have an altar call. It's called weekly communion at 930. And you ought not to receive it if you are playing games with Jesus Christ. You know if you are. I don't. But you do. And I want to ask you, along with the rest of us, to give it up. Not stay where you are like Job was. To turn, look, ask, and see. And with true turning, find the comfort that will only be found in Jesus Christ. And come to the Lord's table. Receive the mercy of grace and communion. If you're going to play games, stay in your seat. I'm serious. Because I, I, I can't not give it to you unless the bishop tells me. And that only happens to notorious sinners that everybody knows. And there's, there's none of those here as I can see. If you know of one, let me know. I'll stick the bishop on them. <laughs> We're not about that. It's a sad ministry. We don't want to go through that. We would if we, we will if we have to for the truth of the gospel among us and the witness in our community. But this is not something we take lightly. Jesus truly died, and every week we come and we're reminded that it's on his merit that we come to the Lord's table, not our own. And that's a gift for each and every one of us. Don't you really want that? Let's pray and let's ask God to reveal that to us. Let's ask him to show us his glory. And let's see him afresh like never before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning at various parts of our journey with you. Some of us who have known you for years and some of us who don't know you. And have been playing games with the faith. Lord, we each and every one of us recognize that our sin, as, as Tim Keller says, is not just the doing of bad things, but the making of good things into ultimate things. It's our seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to our significance, our purpose, and our happiness than our relationship with you. Lord, we are so sorry. We're so wrong. We have been wrong. And we ask for your forgiveness. We don't want to be as our culture is, standing and shaking our fist as radical individualists. We want to be radical for you. 
because simple trust in you is radical to our culture. And we give you our lives in a Job-like fashion this morning. We have heard of you by hearing your word. We ask you would show us your glory each and every day. And we repent, remembering that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. But in the power of the resurrection, we have abundant life, in the present and life everlasting awaiting us because of you, Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.